This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Okay, I think we'll go ahead and pick it up. One before I get started, though, I um, had a friend of mine not too long ago, a man came up to me out of the blue and said he has a daughter 25 and a daughter 23. Neither one of them talked to him. They won't have anything to do with him. And he believes the reason they don't talk to him is because way back in college, he and his girlfriend had an abortion. And I was, he, doesn't, he didn't know anything about me. We're friends, but I hadn't shared with him at that point what I was involved in or my story. He just, out of the blue, came up and told me that. And I was really, really taken back because he had been harboring all this heartache. Another gentleman came up to me and shared with me his story. And when he read my story... He said it gave him the courage, and he actually, bless his dear heart, came to some kind of conclusion about the decision he had made back in college. And he went to the clinic where he and his girlfriend had gone to have this abortion. And he wanted to set up a little cross. Now, you know the abortion clinic is not going to let people start coming and putting crosses in their front yard. But he, he had some kind of closure. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because... You know, a surgical abortion is invasive, and uh, there is a trauma that occurs to women that men do not have to go through. But a lot of men are very traumatized by this, and I don't want that to go ignored. When I went to the retreat, which I'll mention later, for the post-abortive, there was a young man there, and he and his girlfriend had had two, and he wept. And he cried, and it had been maybe 12 years since he'd gone through that. And I was so touched, and I was so glad there was somebody else there, a man, who gave me a little bit of insight into what the guy was going through. You know, there have, other, there have been other men that I've talked to, some very close and dear, and some just acquaintances. And they say, you know, I just wanted to be there to support her. I didn't know what to do. They were kind of in a panic as well. So they thought, well, what I can do is support her. Whatever you choose, I'll support you. They didn't have their own position. That's part of the reason. Yes, again, education is so important. We cannot remain silent about something that is this critical. Now... We'll continue where we left off. I covered the uh, women who, once again, are victims. They don't. The society doesn't want to um, legitimize the trauma. They'd rather attack the victim. You know, well, she's weak. She was weak prior to her abortion, so she's weak now. She's damaged prior to her abortion. That's why she's damaged now, as I've gone over. The negatively affected women are those who are most psychologically fragile before their abortions. 
So instead of validating the trauma, the credibility of the victim is attacked. Well, a lot happened in the 1970s. I, I, when I was doing my research, I was impressed. Let's see. In the late 1970s, however, a few women who had experienced emotional or physical problems after an abortion started banding together. It made me think of those Vietnam vets who came back and they found comfort and support in each other, as do the women, post-abortive women and men. Men are more and more speaking out about this. 1982, the group Women Exploited by Abortion was established and a national, had a national impact by offering group and peer counseling programs. Well, within a year, this WEBA had thousands of members in every state in the United States. And a lot of the post-abortion ministries today were actually started by women who had been members of that WEBA organization. Well, at this same time, more and more psychologists were beginning to recognize that the women they were treating who had a history of an abortion were um, displaying clusters of symptoms that resembled post-traumatic stress disorder. And uh, one of these guys, Vincent Rue, he was the first one to uh, define post-abortion syndrome as a variant of post-traumatic stress disorder. And, uh, coming up into the 80s, the Elliott Institute was established. And it was established by a David Reardon, and he has done a lot of research into the effects. In other words, people were being affected by this. It was on the rise. Damage is being done, and it cannot be ignored. So even though the American Medical Association called it a myth, and the Psychiatric Association attempted to squelch any recognition of post-abortion trauma, the evidence about the traumatic of nature of abortion continued to accumulate. According to the Elliott Institute, 61% of women feel guilty for what they've done. 52% deal with depression. Still others deal with anger and sorrow. I've been reading a book about the effects of men. They didn't have the, the studies that they do have on the women, but the very same thing especially anger. There's grief and bitterness. 52% said they suffered regret and they endure anguish. There's re Let's see. Remorse, despair. Did I have that one up there? Yeah. Unworthiness. There's loneliness, hopelessness, helplessness. 57% felt self-condemnation and confusion. There's anxiety, self-hatred. 54% were unforgiving of themselves. They experienced em emptiness, uncontrollable weeping, and a loss of dignity. I read a couple studies. One study said 10% of relationships, whether they're married or not, make, make it after an abortion. Another study of men said that 77% of relationships collapse after this decision. They're all of a sudden, best buddies love each other. The communication is shut off. They don't know how to deal with the stress, what they've done, the trauma. 
Now, listening to this, these kind of things, you can see why so many end up with alcohol and drug abuse. Another thing that everybody is silent about. So we're going to be silent about the abortion. Now we're going to be silent about how we deal with it by either medicating ourselves with drugs or alcohol. There's other self-punishing behaviors, cutting, eating disorders, promiscuity, suicidal thoughts, career problems, <clears throat> problems with relationships. It's not just the marital spouse. It can be parents. It can be your own children. And then repeat abortions. And I can certainly see how that can happen. Now, the percentages that I just gave you are actually low. There's a delayed reaction to the trauma, and then there's a refusing to participate in the studies. Both of these affect the numbers. In the Elliott survey, over 60% of the women surveyed reported that there was a period of time which they would not have reported any negative feelings about this abortion. They reported that the average time before they even recognized that they had negative reactions was slightly over five years. Women, and I gotta put in there, and even when you do start recognizing negative emotions, who are you gonna talk to about it, right? Women involved in post-abortion programs typically report that it takes an average of eight to 10 years before they begin to confront and deal with their abortion problems. And at that point, I have to tell you, you know, with me personally and with the ladies I have talked to, I went to the foot of Jesus, and I confessed that sin, and I knew the Lord had forgiven me, but I was miserable. I hated myself. I had not forgiven myself, and I had all these unresolved emotions and grief that I didn't know at that time was a part of it. So I can see why it would be hard to confront and deal with these post-abortion problems, emotions. Delayed reaction to abortion is another one of the major reasons why abortion trauma is so poorly understood by both society and the mental health profession. And longitudinal studies, 50 to 60% of women who've had an abortion conceal their abortion from interviewers. You guys, I remember this is a fact. I would go to my doctor for just the routine doctor's visit, and when they would hand me a clipboard with a new piece of paper on it that would say, you have to fill out a new history, I wanted to leave because I always hated this section about how many children, how many times you were pregnant. Just that little thing, because I didn't want to lie, but I sure didn't want to tell anybody about what I had been through. It was... It may seem like a small thing, but when it comes to confronting what's in here and what you're hiding, it was a big thing. 60% of women who initially consent to short-term studies change their mind and refuse to be interviewed. Now, this Dr. Julius Vogel, he was a psychiatrist and an obstetrician, and he has performed over 20,000 abortions, and this is what he has to say. Every woman, whatever her age, background or sexuality has a trauma at destroying a pregnancy. A level of humanness is touched. This is a part of her own life. When she destroys a pregnancy, she is destroying herself. There's no way it can be innocuous. Having an abortion doesn't take care of the pregnancy to the point where you were never pregnant. You will always have been pregnant. 
And so many times, friends and society will encourage someone to get the abortion, get the abortion. That's not the solution. It's not going to say you were never pregnant. It was never there. It is there. It's not the correct way to take care of a problem. Okay, a Los Angeles Times poll found that 74% of women who admitted having had an abortion stated that they believe abortion is morally wrong. Now, another study showed that 70% believe abortion involves the killing of a human life, violating their own moral standard. Now, remember, these, these numbers are only those um, represent those who are willing to participate in a study. Those numbers could very well be higher. And moral dilemmas, by their very nature, involve emotional and intellectual conflict over the problem. This conflict, for many, produces a powerful sense of crisis, leaving women completely overwhelmed by their situation. So moral dilemmas involve emotional and intellectual. These women oftentimes will rush into an abortion without ever examining the full range of their beliefs. They ran into the fire like I did. They panicked and they ran towards the fire. I wanted to get that abortion over with so fast, I didn't want to think about it. Just get it over with, get it over with. If I'd waited too long, the reality of what was really going on might have come over me, you know. So I can see why women will rush into an abortion especially if they don't have someone they saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Let me share with you what I've heard or what I've heard from other women who've had abortions. These women often will rush into the abortion. Yeah, another very sobering aspect of this is those who are in the state of crisis are more vulnerable to outside influences than they would be in a non-crisis situation. And the uh, this reminded me of how after an accident or a crisis, how, sorry, Antoinette, so many of the lawyers will come in and they think it's an opportunity to get, get rich. And people are in such a panic, they follow. And they'll say, lawsuit, lawsuit, lawsuit. When they, these people who ordinarily wouldn't, wouldn't put a lawsuit on it, but because they're in this state of crisis, they follow. And that application is in several areas. Now this state of crisis, especially when it involves moral dilemmas, causes people to have less trust in their own opinions and abilities to make the right decision. This leads them into a state of heightened psychological accessibility in which they become more reliant on the opinions of others, especially authority figures. Authority figures who appear capable of providing a way of escape from the crisis. Now that's a pretty sobering situation. But I will tell you, I wish, and I wish, one of the docs that I had called would have said, Diane, Diane, don't decide until you come and talk to me. Let's, let's discuss it. You know, if one of the docs that I had called had said that, it might not have changed anything. But it might have changed everything. Now, I don't believe we can remain silent about this issue any longer. We are holding the bomb of Gilead in our hands, and I'm afraid we're not even using it. How can we make the nations around us jealous for our God if we don't even put our trust in him? 
and let him show others what he's willing to do for us. We cannot encourage others to trust God if we don't ourselves, can we? If God abhors one sin above another, of which his people are guilty, it is doing nothing in the case of an emergency. Indifference and neutrality and a religious crisis is regarded of God as a grievous crime and equal to the very worst type of hostility against God. Again, who are we going to put our trust in? And you know, I have to say this. It's like the people who pass someone who needs clothes. We're going to pray you get clothes. Someone who's hungry, we'll pray you get food. This is a very personal issue with me because if you're going to encourage someone, don't have the abortion because they were just told their baby is going to have Downs or trisomy 13 or some odd thing that you don't see that often. You know, it's one thing to say, we're going to pray for you, do the right thing, trust God, da-da-da-da-da, down the list, but then disappear. You know, are you willing to help that person feed and bathe and take care of that baby with special requirements? You know, are you willing to go to that house? Let Let me stay here with your baby for a while. You take a break. That's when the brutal reality comes, comes into play. Now, when I met Antoinette at the 2011 GYC, I left that hall crying, and I had no clue what was going on. It had been 20 years since I had confessed my abortions to the Lord. I felt desperate and panicky and sad. <coughs> Excuse me. Antoinette had all this joy, and I did not. And I was at GYC. What was my sixth GYC with my family? I loved the Lord. We went to church. I was involved in church activities. This was something way deep. I avoided pro-life movements, though, y'all. Now, they confessed in the early days. They were so bent on saving that fetus that they walked all over that pregnant woman who was in a crisis. And they realize now they weren't doing it right. And I avoided that type thing. But when I saw Antoinette at the GYC, I went to her booth, and I looked at little developing babies. They weren't all cut up. They were healthy, normal, precious little babies still being developed in the uterus. And it just it came over me. And then I saw the joy in her life and the full assurance of the redemption. You know, redemption is the whole package. It starts at the forgiveness. starts at the wooing Jesus has for us when he woos us to him, gains our confidence. Well, I had confessed and repented of the sin of abortion, and I knew the Lord had forgiven me, but there was more work that needed to be done. Now, there were a few people in the years, maybe four, that I had confided in, and each one responded differently. One wanted to know, who else have you told tell anybody. Another person said, well, you're just sharing this with me to make sure that I don't write you off. And I thought, wow, that's a, that's a pretty deep test for me to be wanting to know if someone's going write, you know, to write me off. So everybody had a different response, but no one said, tell me about it. If someone wants to tell you about an abortion experience, the best thing you can do for that individual is to listen. Because talking starts the healing. So, no one, 
that I, the few that I had talked to, knew or understanded my point to the point of my pain to the point where they encouraged me to seek out help. It was not until after I attended a retreat for the post-abortive women that I understood the incredible need to have that, valid, that trauma validated, deal with my denial, and acknowledge my loss and to grieve. I had to confront my forbidden grief before I could finally ever forgive me. Now, a wound, abortions wounded are now seeking out recovery programs at a record rate. And I think the need speaks for itself. And I'm afraid that if we don't take a moral stand on this issue and show the world and each other right here in our own church who it is we put our trust in, we will miss out on a grand opportunity to minister in the name of Jesus. And we will have a regret throughout eternity because of it. I love this text. I memorized this text with it 17, but I'm not about to try to say it without looking at something right now. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Love that, guys. Okay, Antoinette's going to have a little bit now. What is the difference, the primary difference, between my story and Diane's story? Some of you walked in. You weren't in the first session. I myself was rescued from abortion um, because people intervened uh, in my mother's very traumatic, crisis-filled situation and said, we believe in your value. We believe in the value of your child. And so they pleaded with her to choose a different way. What really was the primary difference between my story and Diane's? Acts 26.18 says, I am sending you to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. What if just one friend, just one doctor, just one boyfriend had said, you are valuable. The life within you is valuable. What if someone had pleaded and interceded with Diane in her situation? What if just one doctor, one friend who she had reached out to had said, do you know, do you know, dear woman, how valuable you are? Do you know that you were crafted? Do you know? that you were crafted with love by the creator of the universe? Do you know, dear daughter, do you know sitting in the audience that you have a purpose and a destiny that you alone can fill? Do you know that? Do you actually believe it? Do you know that the Lord brought you into existence where literally before you did not exist, you were not. Now you do exist because you were his idea. You originated in his mind. 
Do you know that your child, the one that you bear, did not exist? And now that child does exist by the hand of the Lord. Do you know? Do you believe it? What if just one person had had the courage to speak to her in boldness but in love? How might history have been different? How might the history of literally millions upon millions of people across the face of the earth have been different? How might her family, her marriage, the way she raised her children, she has been so raw with you. I cannot tell you the amount of courage it takes. You think about the embarrassment you feel for saying, you know what, I stole something back in the third grade. That's embarrassing, right? I cheated on an exam. That's embarrassing. Do you know the amount of courage it takes to stand up in front of a group of people and say, I had an abortion? It takes a tremendous amount of courage. Folks, this is a simply remarkable woman a true, genuine, authentic testament to the redemption and grace and healing of the Lord. But ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake, there are millions upon millions of women and men because every child has a mother and a father. And for every child that was aborted, there was a father of that child. There are millions upon millions of people, women in particular, just like Diane, who are barely making it. They are treading water. They are desperate to believe in the dark watches of the night that the grace of the Lord really is sufficient for them. Have you ever been there? Have you ever struggled in that way? I have. Why would we hesitate? to be a voice of light speaking into that darkness? Why would we hesitate? Proverbs 3.5 tells us to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, to lean not on our own understanding. What if just one doctor who she spoke to had had the courage to rest in the Lord's understanding rather than his own. Some of us look at those who believe in evolution and we marvel that anyone could believe that the Lord Almighty is not the sovereign creator of the universe. We are amazed that anyone would choose to exalt man and his reasoning and his understanding as the measure of all things until we are faced with an issue like abortion. Because abortion really calls us out on the carpet. It really asks us what we believe. Is it possible that though we claim to believe in the Lord and his sovereignty, that we're really more comfortable when man and man's wisdom and man's understanding is the measure of all things? So what was the primary difference? between the two of our stories. I would say it's that people believed, not just in my value, but in the value of my mother. 
through their intercession, through their pleading, through their willingness to embrace a woman in crisis, my life was spared. I stand before you today because people had the courage to intervene for life. But it wasn't just my life that they valued. They valued her life. They valued her future. They valued her spiritual soundness. For our sakes, they dared to go to those uncomfortable places. In a group this size, there will very likely have been opportunity for a conversation like this to take place. For our sakes, they were willing to go to those uncomfortable places. They did not foresee that over 30 years later, my voice would be used to intercede for the life of another. They did not foresee that over 30 years later, I would meet Diane Wagner, a remarkable human being, a glorious, glorious creation whose voice had been snuffed out because of condemnation and shame and despair and nobody was talking about it. She was dying inside. She, like millions upon millions upon millions of people, dying inside, desperate to be set free. This is what we have the opportunity to do. We, you and I, as individuals, we, as a church, we have the opportunity to intercede, not just for the life of the child, not just for the life of the mother, but for both. We have the opportunity to intercede, not just for the physical life, but for the spiritual life, for the spiritual soundness and well-being of people, men and women, who are dying inside. This is remarkable. There's an Ellen White quote that says that you are engaged second only to the creator of the universe, Jesus. So you're engaged at the highest office in the land when you are seeking another for the Lord. Think about that. Because your value isn't defined by what you possess or how educated you are or how wealthy you are. It's defined by the fact that you are made in the image of the Lord. And so it doesn't matter what you do, whether you are a janitor or whether you're the CEO of a company, are you engaged in seeking another person for the Lord? Because guess what, folks? People are the only thing going through. That's it. Everything else is going to burn and it's going to turn into ash and rubble underneath your feet. The only thing that is going to last is people. And if we are not seeking people for the Lord, what are we doing? The question is, will we embrace, will we as individuals, will we as a church embrace our calling to be conduits, to be vessels through which the redemptive grace of the Lord can flow? That's the question that's facing us right now on this issue. If we are going to reach a post-abortive woman, if we are going to reach a post-abortive man, we have to go where they are. And where are they? We have to be willing to be honest about what was lost. She's not mourning the loss of a clump of cells. She's mourning the loss of a human being. There's a profound 
difference. If we're not willing to go there, if we're not willing to be honest about what was lost, how are we ever going to lead her to the cross? We can't. We have to be honest about what she lost. Just like we have to be honest about our own sin. Because in confessing, we are set free and it's gone. We are going to get into that um, in our third session after lunch. And we're going to begin uh, talking about our calling and our duty and giving a defense. Um, I would like to do a little Q&A with you, if you don't mind. And so I encourage you to come back, please, please, because you're going to love it. Um, I really wanted to ask you, Diane, just fleshing out a couple um, more thoughts from your journey in particular. Your healing was more of, now, you had mentioned earlier that in a group this size, there's very likely someone who's been affected by abortion in terms of mother, sister, cousin has had one. Maybe a guy was in a relationship and encouraged his girlfriend to have an abortion. Perhaps there are actually post-abortive women who are here. Your, your healing seemed to be more of a journey. And I know there's a part in your story. Um, Diane's story is available on the GYC website for everybody. I really, really highly recommend you read this. The power of the Lord pops off of the page. You will not regret it. Um, there's a part in your story where you say that you cried tears of regret. Now you could cry cleansing tears of grief. Would you talk about that a little? Oh, that's really good. Um, the group setting was really especially helpful because we were with other people who had made this decision. And, and that in itself is a validation. <clears throat> and by sharing our stories, see, let me back up. It's not uncommon for a man or woman to be afraid to go there, afraid of breaking down, afraid of what will happen if I even go there. You know, I might just fall apart. I might cease to exist. I might just go completely loony. It's that protected. This, it's in a box and tucked away. So when you go to a safe environment, and my prayer is that the Seventh-day Adventist will eventually have retreats for this kind of thing. I'll let it be known right now. But to put someone in a safe environment where they can share their story, it's private, it's respected, there's no condemnation, and then they hear another story, and they hear another story. It's not all the same, but it was all taking a life through abortion. It was all a traumatic event. You're able to um, confess it. You're able to express your regret. And once you get that out on the table and it's validated, and now what is Jesus going to do with it? And through, through the healing process of getting to know your Savior on another level, on that level, because you've not gone there yet. You haven't, you know, you've confessed it as a sin. But it's a very private, Lord, can you take this one? Can you take this? And through biblical stories of how the Lord dealt with different emotions, you come to the point in people, our Bible stories are wonderful. You come to realize, yes, it's safe to now grieve because you're acknowledging that this was a child. It was a part of me. It was a part of my family. Um, 
we were encouraged to, to uh, write letters. We dedicated the babies to the Lord. We put By doing that, we were putting our confidence in what the Lord is doing with that pregnancy in our past. And all of it, you feel safe, and before you know it, you're grieving. And it's a healing grief. It's a healing cleanse because those tears are like the grief you have when you lose a loved one. It's safe to grieve. How can you grieve something that you're responsible for? See, that's what we punish ourselves with. It's like grieve when I'm the responsible one for deciding to take that, that baby's life. But being nurtured and being held in the arms of Jesus, you're able to accept it. And you forgive yourself, and you're able to grieve. Is that, did that answer your question? Yeah, that okay. did. Let me ask you too. I um, wasn't sure what she was going to ask me, so I was. Um, what really could the, because it's not an issue that's really been addressed for a long time in the church, what did you need um, when you were in your crisis situation from your church that you weren't getting? Okay, the crisis from finding out I was pregnant or the crisis that I carried because I didn't know how to deal with the trauma? Let's say both. Okay, number one. And this is another bandwagon I'm on, education. Uh, education. I, I was a nurse. I had, like I said, studied. My mother was a public health nurse. I used to go with her throughout Atlanta, and she was a big advocate. Prevention of pregnancy. Don't have a baby that you can't properly take care of. You've already got six. I got to tell you this. A man came out with a shotgun once going after my mother because she was teaching a woman how not to get pregnant. You know, mindset's big, too. I don't think we have that problem as much today, but that, that stuck with me. So education, how to prevent it and what it is once you've created it, you know. And I think that right there would have a huge impact. For me, I did not, I've got Baptist friends some of them are, get a little overboard, and they get into the pro, early pro-life, and they, they scared me. I'd get away from them, because they, like Antoinette said, had more regard for the unborn than the, the mother who was absolutely in a crisis. And, but um, they've changed. So, um, but I think as a church, when we learn to validate life, and we learn to appreciate the intrinsic value that all life has, like Antoinette, it will only come natural to want to protect the unborn and to educate what the unborn is and to educate what the price that was paid for that unborn is. We're not our own and neither is that, that baby, that unborn baby. Now later on, I'll be honest with you, I, I was very private about it, but I do, there's certain steps. If someone shares, like I said earlier, someone shares with you that they'd had an abortion, First of all, you've got to examine your whole heart because if you have any kind of condemnation, it'd be best for you to stay silent. But if you know it's only by the grace of God that you haven't walked there and you know the Lord's mercy on all of us, if you can sit there and listen to that woman and I say, how could you ever do that? Or didn't you realize it was da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da? And the woman will clam up. So for me, it was... Um, feeling safe, somebody that I could talk to. The woman that I confessed the sin to initially, she didn't know, or she would have said, honey, this is the first step. You are on your healing journey. 
and you're going to be great. You're going to do fine. But this is what I want you to do. I want you to seek out a Bible study for post-aborted women. You need that fellowship now because that will validate everything you're feeling. She didn't know that. The same with our people, you know. We can be a sympathetic ear and a listening ear, and that's important. But where do you go from that? Encourage, go to your crisis pregnancy center in your area. Find out who it is. Get their name. So if someone ever did come to you, say, Joyce Smith is who you need to talk to. They have a group of women. Do you, am I answering this? A lot of it is just having someone to talk to and someone willing to listen and someone willing, knowing what to do if they're ever talked to. Was there, was there something else you were looking for? Okay. Let's see what time it is. We really encourage you guys, if you have any questions, please write them down. Um, we can't necessarily hand the mic around to folks, but you do have questions. We'd really love to take them. And we want you to know that no question is off limits. Oh, absolutely. Because we're standing on truth, and truth doesn't have to be afraid. And so we're going to adjourn early. Okay. Do you want to close us with prayer? If you'll bow your heads. Dear kind Heavenly Father, thank you so much. To God be the glory that we're actually sitting here at GYC talking about the subject of abortion and that we are finding our voices. Lord, we want your Holy Spirit to rain down on us. We want you to build a hedge around us and protect us from the evil one because we know the evil one has no regard for life. He just wants to tear down. So, Lord, protect us from that. Yet cover us with your blood and your your precious salvation. And, Lord, through these meetings, I hope that each one will walk out realizing just how precious and how valuable they are and that this realization will impact every decision they make and um, every encounter they have with other people. Lord, thank you. We praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at the cross in phoenix arizona gyc a supporting ministry of the seventh-day adventist church seeks to inspire young people to be bible-based christ-centered and soul-winning christians to download or purchase other resources like this visit us online at www.gycweb.org